Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Nevermind the Bar Charts. Following the discussion with Lynn Featherstone about the future of British politics last time, this time I have with me, well it's really, he's the John Curtis of political party membership, uh, in the sense that John Curtis is the well-known expert who we mostly love, especially if you say nice things about our party, uh, or well-known expert on opinion polling and ex- exit polls in particular, and with me is Professor Tim Bale, one of the country's leading experts on understanding political party membership. One of many bits of expertise you have, including previously a very good book about Ed Miliband, though I presume the election result then meant you had to find another expertise to develop <laughs> uh, uh, further. Well, let's just say I went from the politics section to the history section overnight. <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> um, but you have out with two of your colleagues, Paul Webb and Monica Paletti, a new book called Foot Soldiers, Political Party Membership in the 21st Century. Um, so let's start with the most obsequious question possible. Yeah. Tell me all about your wonderful book, Tim. Well, our wonderful bookmark uh, really attempts to kind of map the terrain of party membership in Britain in, in the 21st century. Um, what it tries to do is have a look at the demographics of party members, and we look at six parties, um, which were the Lib Dems, obviously, um, the Conservatives, Labour, uh, the SNP, the Greens, and UKIP. Remember mm. them? Oh, yeah. Uh, we we uh, look also at uh, their ideology, their principles, their values, if you like. Um, we also go into the question of why people join political mm. parties, which is a sort of perennial concern mm. for political scientists who are generally interested in political participation. Yeah. And a perennial concern for local party membership secretaries well, as well. Well, indeed, indeed. Um, and we also then look at, well, um, you know, why do parties want members? Mm. Um, you know, it seems like an obvious question, but actually when you think about it, it's not entirely clear that you have to have mm. members. And indeed, some parties have got along fairly well without many of them uh, for quite some time, the Conservative Party mm. being a, a case in point, although actually their membership has increased, mm. as we know. Uh, we look at what those members actually do for their parties. So we look at the extent to which they are or aren't active. And mm. there's often this big, I think, elision or confusion um, that, that journalists make in particular between activists and party members. Mm. And they are definitely not the same thing, as we perhaps can go on to mm. uh, discuss. Um, and then we uh, also look at the insider parties and what members would like to see... Uh, happen in terms of the running of their parties, mm. how democratic would they like to be, how much influence would they like to have, what about leadership selection, what about candidate selection, those kinds of issues. And then we have a chapter right at the end on, on why people leave political parties, because as you all know, I'm mm. sure, Mark, although I'm sure it's not the case with Liberal Democrats, there can be quite a lot of churn mm. uh, in party membership. Quite, quite a lot of people actually leave, uh, and then sometimes they come back. Um, and so these membership figures that uh, are produced by parties... Um, you know, sometimes I, I think you know uh, people forget that you know that's just a snapshot of where they are, mm. but that could mean quite a lot of people left as well as quite a lot of people joined. Yeah. Um, so where to start with all of that? I wonder if your comment about activists and party members mm. is maybe a good starting point yeah. because in popular conception, act, and actually within parties, this isn't just about people outside parties. There is often perceived to be a very big difference between activists and the grassroots membership. Yeah. Um, and activists can be defined in some slightly odd ways, perhaps. I mean, in the Lib Dems, 
often the distinction is drawn between activists, as in the people who come to party conference, right. and the questions about how mm. typical are they of the wider mm. membership mm. or not. Mm. Although actually some people who come to conference are not that active through the rest of the year, yeah, and there are maybe Lib Dem councillors who are massively active week in, week out, who never come to a conference. So it's a very mm. amorphous concept, yeah. I think, yeah. activism. But yeah. what did you find about who are activists, and are they different from all the rest of us in parties? Well, they do tend to be unsurprisingly if you like more ideologically motivated mm. um, they are uh, there is a, a clear association between if you like liking the the way that your party is going the mm. direction in which yeah. it's been taken by the leadership and being active there's also quite a a strong correlation between actually feeling very rooted mm. in the local party which yeah. is something that I think the Liberal yeah. Democrats are particularly good at and being quite active mm. um, this is uh, when we're talking about offline activities, yeah. if you like. So, you know, knocking on doors, mm. delivering leaflets, those kinds of things. If you're talking about online mm. activism, which, of course, is an important mm. part of activism these days, then actually that sense of, um, you know, collective identity yeah. in your local party is less important, mm. actually. Um, you know, and that won't surprise people uh, in a way. I think, I think to, to go out knocking on doors, to go out delivering mm. leaflets... There's often a kind of social side there to, yeah. to, to activism, which is incredibly important, which is why local parties have to be, I think, very welcoming. Um, but and just on that, in yeah. just in terms of that activism, one of the things that really struck me uh, in your book, uh, Table 6.3, oh. to entice any right. listener to rush out and yes. buy the book, <laughs> hit pause on the podcast now, rush out and buy the book, was where you looked at what sort of activities different mm. members said they had done yeah. um, during the election campaign, and yeah. the election campaign in this case being 2017, I think. And mm. um, You've got, for example, not surprisingly, Liberal Democrats are more likely to have delivered leaflets than yes. anyone else. Um, but I'm surprised that that figure is, it's sort of 46% for yeah. 2015, 44% for yeah. 2017. I think a lot of Lib Dems would think, wow, if only half our members were willing to go out delivering leaflets. Yes. To what extent do you think some of the picture is therefore coloured by people, either only the more active people maybe taking part in the surveys, mm-hmm. or people uh, feeling a bit like asking, are you going to vote in the election? Far yes. more people say yes than actually do. That maybe people feel similar guilt about, oh yes, I'm going to definitely deliver leaflets next week. Yes, I mean, I think there is a degree of social acceptability bias on this. It's an internet survey, mm. so you would assume that people don't really um, think that they should be kind of proving themselves mm. to the person asking the question. But, I mean, we know from research that that still exists mm. even on internet surveys, although it's less of a problem than it is with face-to-face yeah. surveys. I think there is some overclaiming there. I think it it goes right across the parties. And in fact, given the kind of culture uh, of the Lib Dems, Mm. it might even be more so in the Lib Dems. In other words, it seemed to be part of the kind of Lib Dem package that you do this kind of stuff. So um, perhaps Lib Dem members are are slightly more prone to overclaiming than than other party members. Or that's just a suspicion. What's interesting, I think, is if you look at our latest survey, mm. which was done after the 2019... Ooh, uh, breaking uh, news. Breaking news <laughs> for, yeah, for your podcast. Only 33% of uh, Lib Dem members said that they delivered leaflets. Mm. So there has been a decline mm. in that do you, do you have what percentage said they had canvassed? Yeah, um, this time around. Do you tell us what it was in 20... Uh, it was 23% in 2017. Okay, well, that seems to have... Let me have a quick look. Because the reason um, I ask yeah. is that I think there has been a definite shift 
yeah. in the party to try to get more people canvassing. Yeah. So I did quite a lot of training sessions yeah. to try and get people canvassing yeah. for the first time. Well, I'm sorry to tell you. It, it, it looks work, as if no. it's gone down slightly, but then, of course, I mean... Well, it's it, December, it's bad weather. You've yeah. got, you've, you, surely you've got to seasonally adjust yeah, the weather these yeah. days. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, you know, you know the, the latest survey tells us that 17% mm. of people say yeah. that they, they canvass, but face-to-face or on the phone, actually. Yeah. Um, but even that, I think many... Uh, you know, many organisers would say it's probably overclaiming. You know, if they could get, well, I don't know what you think. I mean, well, I guess I mean, I mean, on these figures, you're basically saying that for every canvasser, there are two people, one of whom maybe want the canvasser as well, but that you get twice as many people willing to deliver as canvas. Yeah. I guess my gut feel would be I might be expecting a ratio that's maybe a bit more like three to one. Right. Um, okay. But 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 in a, in a way, what's as of as much interest is that variation. Yeah. That, you know, that perception of Lib Dems as being a leaflet delivery cult. Yes. I think is slightly borne out in your figures, isn't it? That, your words rather than yeah. mine, I, I must say. Yes. That perception. Yeah. Other, which other people may have. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, you know, you you can argue that campaigning is moving online mm. or needs mm. to move online, but I I I think that it is still very important. The boots on the ground mm. stuff is still very mm. important. Actually, you know, pounding the pavements, knocking on doors. Although it's clearly, you know, not going to save you uh, if uh, the tide has turned against you mm. nationally. Um, it makes a difference in close races. Yeah. And so in, getting back to the sort of question about how activists differ, differ from party members, mm. one is obviously their level of activism. Um, the, another is, I guess, the degree to which they're ideologically motivated, mm. as you touched on. Um, are there any other differences, whether that's to do with sort of demographic? Or no, attitude. actually not huge. You you would have thought there might oh. be in terms of age or gender, mm. um, but really those things don't seem to make that much of a difference. Mm. It's more the kind of ideological and kind of social um, side of things that seems to make a difference. Mm. And I guess there's a the follow on from that, which is about the difference between party members and supporters of parties. Mm. Um, and it's the thing that really struck me, actually, when you originally published some of the research before yes. the book came out, yeah. um, which is that people who are strong supporters of parties who you surveyed, and when you compared them with party members, there seems to be a, because this applies across all parties, almost a structural effect that party membership disproportionately essentially appeals to people like you or me. Uh, in the sense that it disproportionately appeals to male, white, relatively well, well-off, well-established people. And therefore, if you're interested in involving, in having greater diversity, whether that's actually socio-economic or demographic, there is a real problem that political party membership somehow as a concept yes. doesn't really seem to appeal equally. And so in the context of the Lib Dems, where we've had a lot of debates in the last few years around potentially reforming how the parties mm-hmm. run... One of the arguments people often use about not being keen on ways of involving non-members is to say, well, look, if they really want to get involved, they should just join the party. And your research seems to point towards actually that being quite a, unintentionally, but quite a discriminatory response. Yes, I mean, I, I think I think parties do have to, you know, invest in the idea of, as if you like, a, a multi-speed membership yep. uh, concept. I mean, I do think they have to realise that there are different levels of affiliation uh, different levels of uh, willingness to do things. I mean, our research showed that the uh, supporters of parties who don't join them uh, are willing actually to do things, particularly mm. at election time. They're less willing, having said that, to do the kind of high intensity thing. So they're less willing to knock on doors. They're slightly less willing to um, deliver leaflets, etc., mm. etc. Et but they are still willing to do some mm. things. And uh, this is the point, and I know it's a point that you've picked mm. up. 
there are so many more supporters of a political party than there are members mm. that actually, if you add up what they do uh, at election mm. time, it is very significant and in some cases more significant than what yeah. party members do. Yeah. So it's something that uh, party members, I think, you know, going back to yeah. the conversation that you were having um, on that, they do need yeah. to recognise that actually these people are a very yeah. useful resource. Yeah. And ap apologies, I can't remember if this was in your book mm. or one of Phil Cowley's books, mm. but I think one of the calculation that because there are so many more supporters than members, although they're less active, the majority of party campaigning activism actually comes from non-members. Yeah, certainly. I mean, because, you know, there, there are there are hundreds of thousands, millions mm. even, mm. of supporters, mm. um, and only, you know, 100,000 or so in the case of the Liberal mm. Democrats. 125,000, 125,000. Well, it's, it keeps going up. I mean, that's very impressive. Mm. I mean, what, I was going to ask you a question. Mm. Am I allowed to ask you a question yeah, on. on this podcast? I mean, have we seen a bit of a blip since the general election in terms of people joining? Because that's happened before. Yeah, I, I think the... Um, it's, it's turned out that the best way of recruiting members is to do really disastrously. <laughs> yes. uh, and we just we just didn't lose enough MPs to really have a membership boost, unfortunately. Because 2015 was absolutely exactly. vintage year uh, for membership recruitment. I'm, I'm hoping one day we'll be able to prove that doing really well can also result in the burst of new members. And I think... Um, so we membership hasn't, you know, hasn't had that sort of post-election. Yeah. Post I think partly that was due to things like Christmas as well. Yeah. It wasn't, there was a real feeling, I think probably actually the combination of Christmas and Brexit yeah. amongst people was, right, let's just move on from politics yeah. for a bit. Yeah. Obviously, because we've got our leadership election later this year, yeah. one of the arguments that was used in favour of going for the timetable we've gone for, where the cut-off date to be able to vote in the election, in the leadership election, is after the May elections. I think that's, that means there's quite a long lead-up for local yeah. parties and the party yeah. centrally to be able to recruit members yeah. and renew members. So yeah. because it's quite a long lead-up, I don't think we'll see a, a sudden spike. No. Uh, but fingers crossed, it's quite hopeful that that will yeah. result in another yeah. step and, up. And, I mean, if you look at what happened to the Conservative mm. Party last year, mm. at the back end mm. of last year, you know, after they did mm. so badly in the European mm. Parliament elections uh, and then they dumped um, Theresa May, mm. people's anticipation mm. of that happening... I think did lead a lot of people mm. to join the Conservative mm. Party in order to be able to vote mm. probably for Boris Johnson. Yeah. Um, you know, whether there's a figure in, in the Liberal Democrats who has quite that kind of magnetism mm. that will cause people, you know, to, mm. to actually join the party in order to vote yeah. for them, who yeah. knows? I uh, know. Well, I, I suspect, um, although we will have leader candidates who are even better than Boris Johnson, I mean, th he did have the advantage, though, that there was a sense of you vote for Boris Johnson and then there's an immediate public policy thing yes. in terms of Brexit that yeah. you can hope will very yeah. quickly yeah. follow from that in, yeah. in a way that obviously yes. for any party in opposition yeah. maybe that connection is not, yeah. is I, not I, I think that is really important I mean when we you know we consider why people join political mm. parties it's absolutely you know fundamental mm. uh, that uh, the main reason that people join is because they approve of the mm. policies mm. they approve of the principles of the party that's what actually you know encourages mm. people even to think of joining party so uh, if you don't get that right or you don't offer somebody yep. you know something obvious in that direction I think it's much more difficult for people yep. to do that I mean they, they do join for a host of other reasons yep. you know there are some social reasons some people even join for career yep. reasons but that's a very very small yep. percentage so if you were to find yourself somehow on the doorstep trying to persuade someone to join a political party oh. and you didn't know anything else about that person yeah based on this research what's the pitch oh, that you question. would what's the what's the main motivator you would 
go well, for? Well, I mean, I think I would say, look, you know, our party uh, presents you with a policy offer that you can really get on board mm. with. Uh, voting for us will also mean, uh, or joining mm. our political party will also help it uh, Keep the mm. other parties that you don't like out of power because that is. Oh, so interesting. So that negative yeah. motivation, that negative is, motivation quite powerful. is quite important as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd also say you'll meet a whole bunch of like-minded people mm. and have fun with them. Uh, it's not all about you know the, the politics. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's uh, another uh, motive. And, and I'd also say maybe if you're interested in a political mm. career. Or even if you're just interested in gaining yeah. kind of skills and experience mm. that might help you in. Uh, your career which mm. is nothing to do with yeah. politics then actually being a member of a political party um, can, can help you build yeah. up those skills and just on so on the first one of those um, it was interesting I thought that you used the word policy rather mm. than values in yeah. that because of course uh, like I um, did an interview with Paula Surridge last year oh, yes, yeah. and of course we're not surprisingly particularly given her area of expertise we talked a lot about political values mm-hmm. but I think that reflects a broader almost consensus about politi- effective political campaigning now mm. is that what you have to really do is communicate your values. The policies may be the way in which you do it, yes, but yeah. it's really about the values. So with political party membership, is it more policy-oriented or is it Well, I come back to your point you just it? made. I mean, I, I'm not sure that you can... I mean, conceptually, clearly you can separate mm. them, but I'm not sure you can separate them when you're mm. doing a, a selling job mm. because I think policies operate as heuristics, shortcuts, mm. if you like. Uh, for people when a bit like when, packaging on 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 pr- products in yes, the supermarket they yes, give you a bit of a clue but. yes in, in a way i mean mm. I, and i think you know when parties are putting together their manifestos as you know mm. they definitely think about this i mean you know mm. manifestos are in part at least a, a signaling game mm. um so uh, it's very difficult to see how other than through mm. policy you can actually communicate your values mm. i mean perhaps through the personality of a leader that's another mm. way of doing it or i mean you can talk in a more abstract way. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, one thing we in the Lib Dems often do is quote half of a sentence from the preamble to our constitution okay, which is? Um, about how none shall be enslaved by poverty, conformity or ignorance, yeah. um, which is a phrase that a lot of people in the party really like. Yeah. And you do therefore sometimes get people say, well, why don't we use the whole preamble more often? Why don't we? Now, actually, part of that is I do wonder how many people who say that have actually read the whole preamble <laughs> because, my goodness, it's got some long sentences right. in even longer paragraphs. Right. Right. And it reads like what it is, which is a chunk of text put together by committee and a committee made up of two camps of people who quite often disagreed because it right. came out of the merger yeah. and so on. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, you could imagine a improved mm. a, you know a rhetorically boosted version of the mm. preamble yeah. that was more abstract yes, rather than yeah. a particular yeah. set of current policy yeah. points yeah. I mean the other thing I think I would stress as well is this won't take up as much of your time as you think it mm. will um, one of the pieces of research we were able to do which we report on in the book but was done mm. in more details somewhere else was to compare what supporters thought um, being a member of a political party actually involved uh, <laughs> with what it did actually involve, involve. for members. Uh, and we found that um, you know supporters who hadn't joined mm. thought that this was a major commitment of time, yeah. maybe even of money, mm. would get in the way of you know family mm. responsibilities and, and those kinds of things. Whereas people who had actually joined political parties, as you know, mm. um, can do as much or as little as yeah. they want, really. You know. 
Yeah, other than buying raffle tickets, I think that's nearly <laughs> mandatory. Uh, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Although it does remind me of my favourite story about John Major, a former Tory Prime Minister, which yeah. you may have come across, no, that well. he, when he was uh, a sort of young up-and-coming politician yeah. and seeking selection as, mm-hmm. a, as an MP candidate, yeah. and therefore going around a lot of Tory party social events, yeah. um, and he was financially not very well off at the time, so he got a job lot of different coloured raffle tickets that yeah. he would put in his pockets before going to Tory events so that when someone tried to sell him a raffle ticket he always had the right ah, looking raffle ticket brilliant. he would say it's okay I've already bought that's one your colleague brilliant. got me earlier which I thought was a heard, lovely idea I hadn't heard that question I had not heard that question no, that, that is absolutely yeah. fantastic um, so, yeah, so thinking about your research was there was there a moment when you were looking at a particular finding and you mm. thought there's no way this can be right and you sort of hit the phones or the email to say Paul and Monica said, look, surely, surely one of us has mangled the data. This conclusion is so Ooh, surprising. Is there anything that a, really a, surprised a you? Or well, are you just so knowledgeable, so expert, that it all well, uh, all to, seemed as expected? To, to be honest, I mean, I think, although I, I guess I'd always understood that most party members didn't do very much, mm. I think I was surprised at how many party members were willing to admit they do absolutely nothing mm. for their parties at all. So um, in the latest election, mm. if you like, mm. uh, 49%, I think, of Liberal Democrat members said they did nothing. Nothing? Party. Wow. Nothing. Zero. <laughs> I mean, uh, which is... Uh, and how, well, do, how does that compare with other parties? Um, well, I, I actually haven't got the figures in mm. front of me, but I suspect that the, it was probably just as high. That's in terms of time. Yep. How much time did you spend? Yep. No time at all. Funnily enough, when you ask them about particular activities... Mm there's a slightly different answer. Some people will, um, for example, not count mm. liking something on Facebook or sharing something mm. on Facebook. or Because it's part of what they would normally do part of what they would normally do, so they don't regard it as working for the mm. party. Um, and if you ask them that question, then the, the actual figure is a lot lower. I think, you know, just mm. having a look now. It's, it's only around, actually, 15 20% mm. of people say they have done none of those activities. Yeah. But we presented them with a, a range of activities yeah. that went right from you know, just talking to your friends yeah. and family about uh, the election mm. and, you know, persuading them to, to vote to, you know, driving people to the polling station, yeah. which is a, a very, very niche activity. Which yeah. <laughs> very few people indeed uh, uh, actually managed and, to do. And again, I wonder to what extent some of those figures will have been depressed by it being the run up to Christmas. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think what we've what we also have found is actually if you look at the pattern between 2015, mm. 2017, 2019, mm. is there is a degree of electoral fatigue actually here. Um, mm. You know, that, that gradually people have just, you know, sort of felt that they've done their dash, I think. Uh, mm. and, that, and that doesn't And because, of course, there have been yeah, Scottish referendum, yeah. European referendum yeah. plus... Lots of different yes. council and elected yes. mayor and so on yes, elections as well in that time. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think what the other thing I would say about the research in, in some ways that um, uh, is most intriguing is we were uh, when we applied for the grant mm. to do the research, yeah. and, and this is funded by I should say this is funded by the Economic and Social Research Council. I can't remember the grant number, but I should say that I'll find it in the book so uh, we can yeah. say it later. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> We, we were facing a situation which most parties and party mm. scholars across Europe were facing, which was party membership was going down everywhere. Mm. And, and what we wanted to do was to try and explain, you know, why that was happening. Mm. 
And then, of course, 2015 comes <laughs> it along. All oh, it all changed. You know, suddenly Labour shoots yeah. off, the Liberal Democrats shoot off, the Greens mm. at that point, you mm. know, UKIP at that point, mm. the SNP yeah. uh, were, and, were going and what, you, as well. What do you think has happened in that respect? Because I think in terms of each of the parties, yeah. it seems to me, at least, you can tell a story specific to yes. that party. Yeah. And, that, and actually the story does seem quite, you know, the Lib Dem story about turning around our membership data and organisation and therefore actually beginning to grow the membership during the coalition years, really yes. impressive achievement. Yeah. But that that's a very party-centred explanation. Yes. And then, of course, you do have things like how did the Lib Dems do in the 2015 yeah. election yeah. and the membership surge? You know, yeah. It feels like it was Nick yeah. Clegg's speech yeah. that triggered it. So, and likewise with the SNP and the referendum in Scotland. So it feels like each party has its party-specific story. I, I but is it just a random chance that we've had all these individual events well, at the same time? I mean, or? I'd love to say as a social scientist that it's not mm. and that, you know, to come up with some underlying explanation. Mm. But I do actually think you're right. I think it's contingent um, for each party. Actually. Like the buses. They just happen to have all <laughs> yeah. arrived. Yes, I mean, it could be there's some kind of, you know, contagion or mimetic mm. effect here. That, yeah. You know, when, when some people see you know, Labour rising in numbers, they decide to join the party they want to. But I honestly don't yeah. think it is that. I think, and you've quite rightly pointed yeah. to all of them, and we've also talked about the Conservative yeah. Party, you know, electing a new leader. Yeah. as yeah. Or the Green Party with its membership surge. Yeah. They really coincided yeah. with a little bit of success for the Green Party yes. and then a very successfully exploiting an issue about being excluded. Uh, it was from TV debate plans, exactly, wasn't it, where yes. they ran a big petition yeah, and yeah, so yeah. on. But I do have to say, I mean, having talked to the parties, mm. and we didn't just talk to members, we did talk to the parties, uh, I think the Liberal Democrats, and I'm not just saying mm. that because I'm doing a podcast with uh, <laughs> Mark Pack, um, but uh, I think, for me, they had the most kind of creative ideas about what to do yeah. in terms of um, retaining members yeah. in particular uh, but also recruiting members uh, and I think they have got their act together on membership actually before uh, the other parties yeah. have done so um, and as you very rightly pointed out actually to begin to kind of turn the ship around yeah. during those very difficult yeah. years between you know 2012 and 2015 yeah. is really quite yeah. impressive. And, and that, I think, has to do with, you know, the people that they recruited yeah. to, to, do, to do membership. They got people from the outside, yeah. the experience of other organisations. Yeah. Uh, they thought very deeply about it. They surveyed, yeah. you know, their members. I mean, you know all yeah. this, but I'm not sure everybody else does. I mean, they really did think very, very hard about it. That doesn't mean that they've got the answer yeah. because, you know, it's, it's difficult in this day and age, I think, yeah. to, to recruit people, um, you know, where you're asking them to pay for something uh, and they don't get something very obvious yeah. back. You know, you have to, uh, you know, it comes mm. back to your initial question, what do you offer mm. people? But they thought very hard about the offer that they were making yeah. to people. I think. So I'm sure trying to grow the Liberal Democrat membership will be a big issue over the next mm. few years. Um, particularly because the likelihood of the next general election being mm. a little bit further away yeah. than the tempo of elections previously, yeah. there's a little bit more scope to yeah. think for the long term yeah. Yeah. what's the sort of the one bit of advice maybe finally you would give somebody who is now thinking whether it's locally or in the party centrally or just is interested what what's the thing that the Lib Dems most need to think about in terms of getting membership stuff right in the next few years well I think what I would say in the next few years is that there has to be a strong synergy between the as it were online and offline worlds mm. um, and I think most political parties probably still privilege when they're thinking mm. about activities that members can do yeah. or they want members to do the offline yeah. rather than the online. 
but actually the two things should be related. You know, people should feel that they're part of, as it were, the world of the Liberal Democrats, uh, whether they're at home on their keyboard or on their phone or out on their phone, uh, or whether they're kind of meeting in a pub after a canvassing session or something like that. Somehow these things have got to be... Yeah. Integrated. Yeah, or listening to a Liberal Democrat friendly podcast. That would be certainly <laughs> one way of doing it. I guess. Excellent. So, so basically your recipe for success is that the Lib Dems need to get a lot more people to start listening to my podcast. Yes. I like that recipe. Yes, and I, and I think the other thing I would say to the Lib Dems is, you know, it, it will be partly about the leader. Yeah. You know, the leader does make a difference mm. when people are joining political parties. You know, having a leader who they can identify with, mm. who they think is getting the direction right, mm. does make a difference to people joining makes a difference to people getting mm. active and makes a difference to people not leaving brilliant fantastic that's been absolutely fascinating thank you tim and to your colleagues uh paul webb and monica paletti with whom you've done the book foot soldiers and obviously thank you to ERC, esrc's research grant uh es-m007537-1 Thank you. Who knows? Hopefully there'll be a dash two at some point that will allow you to extend your research further. (laughs) Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, If anyone has any uh, thoughts about who they would like to hear me interview in future editions of Nevermind the Bar Charts, please do go and find the podcast on Twitter at Bar Chart Podcast. Um, And likewise, any questions or thoughts or feedback on this episode, very gratefully received, do please go find, follow and tweet at at Bar Chart Podcast. Thanks very much.